Welcome back to the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast series. On today's episode, we cover the topic of abdominal trauma under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 30-year-old male, victim of an automotive hit-and-run incident, presents to the ED. Initial primary survey reveals no airway obstruction and good ventilation. Two large bore IVs are inserted and blood pressure is 95 over 60, pulse is 95 per minute, respirations are 18 per minute, and oxygen saturation is 95% on room air. One liter of lactated ringers is started. Secondary survey reveals no obvious source of blood loss. Despite this and fluid resuscitation, the patient's blood pressure drops to 85 over 55. A fast ultrasound exam reveals fluid surrounding the spleen and in Morrison's pouch. The patient is rushed to the OR for an exploratory laparotomy. Now for a quick overview. Abdominal trauma is trauma to the abdomen causing visceral damage and hemorrhage. Treatment depends on the extent of trauma. Now let's discuss epidemiology. It's difficult to recognize clear symptoms of abdominal trauma early on, and blunt abdominal trauma makes up two-thirds of all intra-abdominal injuries. Mortality rate is at about 8.5%, and a motor vehicle crash, or an MVC, is the main mode of injury. Penetrating abdominal traumas make up one-third of all intra-abdominal injuries, and mortality rate in this case is about 12%. 95% of all penetrating trauma is associated with gunshot and stab wounds. Note that there's a higher risk of wound site infection and abscess formation with penetrating abdominal trauma. In terms of demographics, know that two-thirds of injuries occurs in males, and the peak incidence is between ages 14 and 30. In blunt trauma, spleen is the most commonly injured organ and liver is second. In penetrating trauma, the liver is the most commonly injured organ. Substance abuse, ownership or access to firearms, and motor vehicle operation are the risk factors for abdominal trauma. Now let's discuss pathogenesis. Blunt abdominal trauma divides into three mechanisms. First, a rapid change in organ momentum and speed causing shearing forces to tear organs. Second, crush injury due to organ compression against blunt object and rigid structures in the body, such as bones. And third, External compression due to rise of pressure inside organ, especially hollow organs, leading to organ rupture. Penetrating abdominal trauma can be divided into two mechanisms. First, direct damage via tissue penetration, and second, pressure damage from speed of penetrating object causing fragmentation of the organ. Now let's discuss how a patient presents with abdominal trauma. In the history, it's important to ascertain mechanisms of injury from initial report to determine the workup. Unprotected trauma includes pedestrian victims of MVCs, motorcycle or bicycle crashes, or assaults with objects. We also have high-energy trauma under the category of unprotected trauma, and this includes patients that were in an MVC with no restraints, known high speeds, death at the scene, or substantial vehicular damage. High-energy trauma also includes falls greater than 15 feet, minor trauma in patients with limited reserve to tolerate injury, elderly patients with chronic debilitating disease or those that are immunosuppressed, and finally, seatbelt-associated injuries, in which you may see associated retroperitoneal duodenal trauma, intraperitoneal bowel transection, mesenteric injury, and lumbar spine injury. 
Know that symptoms and signs of blood loss may not be evident in the patient presenting with abdominal trauma. On physical exam, you may notice tachycardia, tachypnea, oliguria, hypotension, and a febrile patient. On primary and secondary survey, you'll notice abrasions, contusions, seatbelt sign, distension. You may auscultate bruise, bowel sounds, and the patient may report referred pain to the shoulder. In terms of provocative tests to help diagnose, you'll note tenderness with and without rebound, rigidity, and guarding. You can perform a digital rectal exam, insert a nasogastric tube for bowel decompression, and place a Foley catheter if patient cannot void spontaneously. Now let's discuss imaging in the case of abdominal trauma. These patients need radiograph, which may show free air under diaphragm, hernia, air fluid levels, fractures, and know that the limitation of radiograph is that soft tissue will not be visualized. On fast ultrasound, you may see presence or absence of free fluid in peritoneal, pleural, or pericardial cavities within minutes, specifically in less than five minutes. This modality is not used to identify specific organ injuries, and the limitation is that if patient has ascites, the FAST exam will be a false positive. A diagnostic peritoneal lavage is the most sensitive test for intraperitoneal bleeds. If greater than 10 milliliters of gross blood, greater than 500 WBC, greater than 175 amylase, and or bile, bacteria, or foreign material is found, DPL is considered positive. Know that the DPL is not for retroperitoneal bleeds or diaphragmatic rupture. The limitation with this modality is the time factor. It takes one hour. A CT scan is the most specific test for all the conditions that I've mentioned, and the two main limitations to keep in mind with a CT scan are that it causes significant radiation exposure and it should not be used if the patient is hemodynamically unstable. Now let's discuss lab studies. Serum labs that would be pertinent to order in the case of abdominal trauma include complete blood count, electrolytes, coagulation factors, type and cross, creatinine kinase, lipase amylase, liver function tests, arterial blood gas, blood alcohol level, urine or serum beta-HCG, a pregnancy test, urinalysis, and a toxicology screen. The differentials to consider in the case of abdominal trauma include cardiac trauma and pulmonary trauma. In the case of cardiac trauma, we worry about cardiogenic shock, and this can include cardiac tamponade, contusion, laceration, and also bleeding above the diaphragm. In the case of pulmonary trauma, we worry about impaired oxygenation and ventilation, and know that diaphragmatic injury can cause bleeding to spill into the abdomen. Now let's discuss the management of a patient presenting with abdominal trauma, beginning with medical management. Imaging in a patient with blunt abdominal trauma should be obtained in the case of an equivocal abdominal physical examination, multiple trauma patient with altered mental status due to head trauma or drugs and alcohol, a patient with suspected spinal cord injury causing abdominal anesthesia, unexplained shock or hypotension, and fractures of lower ribs, pelvis, and spine. In this case, you should start with a fast ultrasound. Now let's discuss surgical management. In the case of blunt abdominal trauma, you would perform a fast exam. If it's positive and the patient is hemodynamically unstable, you should start IV fluids and go to the OR immediately for laparotomy. If the patient is hemodynamically stable, you can get the CT. If the patient is hemodynamically unstable, you should repeat the FAST exam or get a DPL. It's important to determine the mechanism of injury, and so you should get a CT scan. If the patient has no other risk factors for the intra-abdominal bleed, you can observe with repeat serial physical exams. 
If the FAST exam is equivocal and the patient is hemodynamically unstable, you should get the DPL. If they're hemodynamically stable, you can get the CT scan. In the case of solid organ injuries in the setting of blunt abdominal trauma, you should treat based on hemodynamic stability, not the specific injury. If the patient is unstable, go to the OR for laparotomy. If they're stable, spleen, liver, and kidney lacerations and hematomas can be graded. Higher grade portends increased risk of bleeding, and so you should consider angiography with embolization. In hollow viscous injuries in blunt abdominal trauma, evidence of perforations, such as free air in peritoneal cavity, may be seen. In this case, the next best step is to go to the OR for laparotomy. If a patient presents with penetrating abdominal trauma due to a gunshot or stab wound, you should take them to the OR for laparotomy. Any gunshot wound below the nipple line is considered to be abdominal. If patient is in shock, has peritonitis, evidence of evisceration, free air in abdomen, or blood in the NG, Foley, or seen on the DRE, the next best step is to go to the OR for laparotomy. Retroperitoneal trauma is also an indication for surgical management, and it's classified and triaged by zones on imaging. Zone 1, or the central zone, has a high risk of bleeding from major vessels, pancreas, and duodenum. The next best step in this case is to go to the OR for laparotomy. Zone 2 is the perirenal zone, and if the patient is stable and has an injury in this location, the next best step is to continue with observation. If the patient has a zone 2 injury and is hemodynamically unstable or has penetrating trauma, first obtain contralateral renal function. The next best step is to go to the OR for exploration based on renal function. Finally, we have zone 3, or the pelvic zone. In this case, you should first control bleeding with a pelvic binder, and if the patient is stable and has evidence of blunt trauma, no surgical exploration is indicated. The next best step in this case is to consider angiography and embolization. If the patient is unstable and has evidence of penetrating trauma, surgical exploration may be necessary. Now for two main complications associated with abdominal trauma. One, surgical wound infection, and in this case you should manage with surgical debridement and broad-spectrum antibiotics. And two, shock. In this case, you should resuscitate with a massive transfusion protocol, do not just give crystalloids, and know that positive pressure ventilation can worsen hypotension, secondary to increased interthoracic pressure. Now that we've covered the main learning points of abdominal trauma, let's see how these concepts are tested with some practice questions. A 27-year-old man presents to the emergency department after being stabbed. The patient was robbed at a local pizza parlor and was stabbed over 10 times with a large kitchen knife with an estimated 7-inch blade in the ventral abdomen. His temperature is 97.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 74 over 54. Pulse is 180 per minute. Respirations are 19 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. The patient is intubated and given blood products and vasopressors. Physical exam is notable for multiple stab wounds over the patient's abdomen inferior to the nipple line. Which of the following is the best next step in management? 1. CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis. 2. Diagnostic peritoneal lavage. 3. Exploratory laparoscopy. 4. Exploratory laparotomy. Or 5. Fast exam. The correct answer is 4. Exploratory laparotomy. 
This patient is presenting after severe penetrating abdominal trauma with hemodynamic instability and should be transferred immediately to the operating room for an exploratory laparotomy. Penetrating abdominal trauma can present with severe blood loss and can be fatal if not treated immediately. Any patient presenting with penetrating abdominal trauma should have the ABCs of trauma assessed with a focus on airway, breathing, and circulation. Once the patient's airway is secured and the patient is properly ventilated and oxygenated, the patient's hemodynamic status should be stabilized by administering whole blood or a massive transfusion protocol. Any patient with obvious penetrating abdominal trauma and signs of internal hemorrhage does not need any further diagnostic tests to confirm the diagnosis and can be sent to the operating room immediately for an exploratory laparotomy to stop the bleeding. Now let's discuss the incorrect answers. Answer 1. A CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis would be appropriate in a hemodynamically stable patient who required imaging for operative planning. However, it would never be indicated in an acute trauma situation with a hemodynamically unstable patient. Answer 2. Diagnostic peritoneal lavage is an older diagnostic test used to detect intra-abdominal bleeding and has largely been replaced by the FAST exam. Answer 3. Exploratory laparoscopy could be indicated if it was unclear if the patient was bleeding or if exploration was needed in order to find the etiology of a patient's symptoms. This patient with multiple stab wounds has an obvious injury that needs acute intervention. Answer 5. FAST exam is the diagnostic test of choice for assessing for intra-abdominal bleeding to see if laparotomy is needed. It is not indicated in cases where the patient is hemodynamically unstable and there is a clear etiology of the patient's symptoms. This patient's FAST exam would likely be positive and they would still go to the operating room anyways, thus a FAST exam would only delay definitive care. Now for a bullet summary. Patients with obvious penetrating trauma and hemodynamic instability can be managed immediately with an exploratory laparotomy in order to stop the bleeding. Let's do another practice question. Question 2. A 33-year-old man presents to the emergency department after he was struck by a motor vehicle. He was found unconscious and was brought in by ambulance. The patient's Glasgow coma scale is 7 and his temperature is 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 84 over 44. Pulse is 140 per minute. Respirations are 22 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. The patient is given IV fluids and blood products. A fast exam is performed, which can be seen on figure A on medbullets.com. For your convenience, I'll let you know that figure A demonstrates a positive fast exam with free fluid visualized. As the patient is being set up to be intubated, it is noted that his blood pressure has improved to 100 over 60. The patient is subsequently intubated and mechanically ventilated. His blood pressure sharply decreases to 80 over 40. Which of the following is the most likely cause of this patient's hemodynamic status? Is it 1. Cardiac tamponade and tension pneumothorax? 2. Hemorrhagic shock and cardiac tamponade? 3. Hemorrhagic shock and increased intrathoracic pressure? 4. Hemorrhagic shock and neurogenic shock? Or 5. Hemorrhagic shock and septic shock? The correct answer is 3, 
hemorrhagic shock and increased intrathoracic pressure. This patient is presenting after trauma with a positive FAST exam, suggesting a diagnosis of hemorrhagic shock. His sudden decompensation after being intubated suggests that this decompensation is secondary to increased intrathoracic pressure from mechanical ventilation. Trauma most commonly causes hypotension via hemorrhage. The best treatment for hemorrhagic shock is to administer fluids, blood products, vasopressors, and to stop the bleeding with surgical intervention. Intubation is typically necessary in these patients to protect their airway and ensure adequate oxygenation and ventilation. When a patient is intubated and mechanically ventilated, their intrathoracic pressure typically increases. In the setting of blood loss, this increase in intrathoracic pressure further decreases blood return and preload, which can lead to hemodynamic instability and decompensation. Though intubation is necessary, these patients will need aggressive fluid and blood product administration in addition to surgical intervention to stop the bleeding. To review, Figure A demonstrated a positive FAST exam with free fluid, which is indicative of intra-abdominal bleeding. Now for the incorrect answers. Answer 1. Cardiac tamponade and tension pneumothorax would present with jugular venous distension, hypotension, tachycardia, absent breath sounds, such as that seen in pneumothorax, and muffled heart sounds, such as that seen in cardiac tamponade. Management would involve needle decompression, chest tube placement, and pericardiocentesis if the patient's vitals are unstable. Answer 2. Hemorrhagic shock and cardiac tamponade would be unlikely to present with sudden hypotension after intubation. Cardiac tamponade may present with jugular venous distension, muffled heart sounds, electrical alternans, and fluid surrounding the heart on ultrasound. Answer 4. Hemorrhagic shock and neurogenic shock would present with major trauma. Neurogenic shock would present with severe injury to the CNS or spinal cord and result in hypotension and bradycardia from decreased neurologic input. Answer 5. Hemorrhagic shock and septic shock would be unlikely in this young trauma patient. Septic shock typically presents with fever or hypothermia, hypotension, tachycardia, a suspected source of infection, and a blood pressure that does not respond to IV fluids. Now for a bullet summary. Intubation and mechanical ventilation can increase interthoracic pressure, causing sudden hemodynamic decompensation. That's all for today's episode on abdominal trauma. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing these topics directly on medbullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or mobile app while reading through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets podcast thus far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.